This is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarter Bin. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue from my comic book collection, which I will select sort of at random. Any book from my comic book collection is eligible, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it. Was the issue worth 25 cents? Was it a bargain at 25 cents? Or was it still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For the 78th episode of The Quarter Bin, we're looking at Assassins. From Amalgam Comics, cover dated April 1996. A few months ago, I decided to revisit the Amalgam books here on The Quarter Bin. I say revisit because, back in episode 54, the late Sean Engel and I covered Dr. Strangefate. And on episode 55, Trennis Magnus and I talked about Challengers of the Fantastic. I wanted to do two more episodes and pretty much wrap up Amalgam as far as quarter bin coverage goes, like last episode when we wrapped up our coverage of the Ultraverse. But I had five Amalgam books in the database and two episodes to cover them on, and I didn't want the pressure of deciding which ones to cover, so I passed that all on to you, my lovely listeners. Through Facebook, people were allowed to pick the two books I'd cover, and then through the wonder of the XL Randomizer, the selections made by Clinton Robison of the Coffee and Comics blog were the winners. Which brings us to Assassins. Well, in a few minutes, it'll bring us to Assassins. Because first, we have a little feedback. Darren Sutherland wrote in about the Ms. Tree episode with Mark Sweeney, episode 76. Hi, Mark and Professor Allen. I meant to write this email a couple weeks ago, but it had been a long business trip and a vacation, and it just slipped my mind. I just wanted to say that Ruth and I completely enjoy your coverage of the Ms. Tree specials. We love mystery comics of all kinds and are fans of Ms. Tree's adventures. Spreading the two issues across your two shows was a nice idea and created sort of a double feature feel to the coverage. I also want to say that I completely agree with the comment that Ms. Tree is the female Mike Hammer, and she shouldn't be the female James Bond. That's an excellent and easy-to-understand reference. We love the title Ms. Tree Theater, and look forward to Mark's future episodes dedicated to the character. Great job, both of you. In the last episode, I mentioned that Max Allen Collins had actually visited our blog post and left comments there. Well, Mark pointed out that on a blog post on MaxAllenCollins.com, Mr. Collins actually mentioned us and included a link to that episode. I'm not looking at it right now, but it's something along the lines of referring to me and Mark as smart comic book experts, which he and I agreed was wrong on many, many counts. The Sutherlands also wrote in on last episode, episode 77, Freaks, number two, with the irascible shag. Hi, Professor Allen. This was a great episode, and you obviously has a positive influence on shag, as he was generally focused and almost intelligible. Let's be honest, guys. That's a credit to my editing, too. But, but thanks. Ruth and I read a lot of Malibu in the 80s and 90s, including... Planet of the Apes, Logan's Run, Dinosaurs for Hire, Ex-Mutants, and an all-time favorite of ours, The Trouble with Girls. I'll confess that we've never read any Ultraverse, 
So they go on our quarterman list, thanks to you guys. Now I want to jump in here and say that the Sutherland mentioned X-Mutants, and I always have to mention at this point that there was a volume of both X-Mutants and New Humans that were related under the Malibu banner, and they were branded as the Shattered Earth Chronicles. Most, if not all, of those were in black and white. I mention those ones in particular because most of those issues in the Shattered Earth Chronicles were written by my internet buddy Paul O'Connor, proprietor of the Longbox Graveyard blog and special guest on Quarter Bin episode 30. And I have found issues of those titles in the Quarter Bin recently. But back to Darren. The episode also illustrates why you should always listen to the very end of a podcast. Sincere thanks for the kind words about us from both of you. Take care, guys. Before even listening to that episode with Shag, just seeing that he was finally on the quarterbin, Tom Panarese from the In Country podcast commented, and another seal opens. David Ace Gutierrez, former co-host on the Ultraverse Network, wondered, Is it cheating when your former co-host discusses your former show's subject matter with someone else on their podcast? And then later, he had evidently not gotten over this grievous insult yet. Still can't believe I got bumped for Shag. I know, that sounds like a terrible insult, Dave. I understand. I mean, anyone would consider that a terrible insult. But here's the thing. I'm going to be seeing Shag live and in person in in a few weeks, and... I just feared my food might end up poisoned, so... Sorry, buddy. We'll have you on the show sometime, David. And Shag himself commented on that episode. I assume this will be a thank you note for having him on or some similar humble thought. Let me pull this up. Ah, a message of three little words. That's so sweet that... Wait, hmm? Best guest ever? Okay, I'm starting to see what Rob Kelly is always going on about, if you know what I mean. That episode's post was shared on Facebook by Bradley Null, the Sutherlands, David Ace Gutierrez, Clinton Robinson, and by Shag, who also posted a link in the Ultraverse Facebook group. Well, thanks everybody for writing in. I always appreciate every piece of feedback, and in this case, that statement is nearly 100% true. Let's take a break here, play a promo, and when we come back, we're revisiting the Amalgamverse to talk about Assassins. Greetings, listeners. I am Dr. G, the man of nerdology. I host the Pulp to Pixel podcast. I and my rogues gallery of co-hosts explore the media multiverse of geek culture with such shows as Welcome to Astro City and Secret Sagas of the Multiverse. Now I am proud to announce the newest addition to the Pulp to Pixel podcasts, Dial G for Gamer, a superhero gaming podcast. Dial G for Gamer will be a semi-monthly show where I and my co-hosts Play and review games with a superhero theme. From tabletop games to video games, we will take on the genre one superhero game at a time. So if you love superheroes and gaming as much as we do, then tune in to Dial G for Gamer. You can find episodes of Dial G for Gamer 
with the other Pulp to Pixel podcasts through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. You can follow us on Facebook at the Pulp to Pixel Podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Pulp to Pixel, where I go under the name Dr. G Neurologist. And you can find episodes directly at our blog, pulptopixel.blogspot.com. The Pulp to Pixel Podcasts, exploring the media multiverse of geek culture. And we're back. Assassins, or technically Assassins number one, had a cover price of $1.95, meaning I acquired this book at a very nice 87% markdown. The cover, by Scott McDaniel and Derek Fisher, shows our two female assassins in a spotlight against a brick wall. On the left, we have Cat's Eye, an amalgam of Electra and Catwoman, clad in black with a cool gold helmet thing. She's holding out Electra's scythe toward us in one hand with Catwoman's whip in the other. The right side of the cover shows Dare, an amalgam of Daredevil and Deathstroke, clad in red with huge cutouts in the hip and uh, buttocks-ish area. She also has an eye patch and is holding a giant sword aloft. Both women are impossibly shaped in the Liefeldian manner of the era with a range of protruding body parts. The story, Political Suicide, was written by D.G. Chichester, with art by Scott McDaniel and Derek Fisher. We open with Cat's Eye shoving her scythe right through some poor dude. Dare and Cat's Eye are back in town. Let's hope the city's stocked up on body bags. The corpse in the making is Deadeye, a killer infamous for never missing his mark. The ladies used him for target practice on their way to murder the mayor of Gotham. Deadeye was working for the mayor, so he would have gladly done the same to them, or worse. We see that the ladies are working themselves up Arkham Tower, now only ten floors below Mayor Enigma Fisk, colloquially known as the Big Question. He's watching them on close circuit. How is a skyscraper like a shovel? The two of you can use either one to dig your graves. The ladies are then attacked by Lethal, a wild cheetah, a wild hunter, counting on their craven fear to weaken his prey. There's a joke about skinning Dare based on how much skin she's already showing. But we learn that Slade Murdoch is called Dare because so few Dare go up against her. With the help of Electra's whip, she delivers the death stroke to Lethal. We see that the big question is watching a TV editorial given by a grizzled redhead fellow in a bow tie. Jimmy Urich asks if anyone else sees a problem with having a convicted felon in office. In response, the mayor smashes the TV set in his office. We mentioned that the mayor's office is in Arkham Tower. This is actually built upon the remains of the infamous asylum, and they never actually relocated the inmates bureaucratic madness and political correctness at work. Cat's eye and dare just mow them down as they continue to climb the elevator shaft. We learn that the ladies don't even know who hired them to take out the mayor. It's just another job. They run into Nathan Chase, better known as Wired. He is a manhunter, built out of flesh and machine, strung together with cybernetic cable. 
the girls scracoom their way past him and find themselves face to face with the big question. Then the mayor monologues his interesting plan as it turns out that he was the one that hired them to kill him. He has planted info that Dr. Strange Fate enchanted the ladies to murder him and that all the bodyguards they laid waste to added to their reputation, which means that when he beats them, he is top dog again and his reputation will be reborn. No question that Enigma Fisk is New Gotham's power. Even if you do get to me, at least I die in a fight and not as some magician's pathetic stooge. Dare attacks, but Cat's Eye tries to pull her back, knowing it's a trap. And the big question rips her apart. Here's a question for you. Do you want I should call a doctor? Take your time answering. No, really, take an eternity. When he turns to face Cat's Eye, she's gone. But she explodes her way back into the room, and we get her backstory as they fight. Growing up on the streets of Cairo, her only friends in those days were the cats roaming the narrow rank alleys. Her only chance for survival was matching their cunning and ferocity. Even when Daddy became Egyptian ambassador to the U.S. and their way of life went up, Electra Kyle never forgot the hard lessons she learned as a girl. She manages to beat the big question to a bloody pulp, but resists the temptation to kill him. That wouldn't begin to equal the hurt of killing my friend. There's a better way. The worst way. Shortly thereafter, Jimmy Urich receives a phone call telling him where he can find Enigma Fisk. He gets in a helicopter and finds the man hanging in a sack outside Arkham Tower. Jimmy still doesn't believe it, but he knows that J. Jonah White is going to pay big for this exclusive. And on the last page, a woman reads the newspaper headline on the way out of town along with her faithful kitties. It doesn't balance the scales, fat man, but it'll do while I come up with more creative tortures. The end. So, as my internet buddy and podcasting contemporary Trennis Magnus would ask, what did I think of this? There's a point at which parody is so close to the original piece of work being parodied without a commentary or without a wink that it's hard to tell if it is parody or not. So I'm not sure if this is intended to be making fun of the -the over-the-top, blood-soaked stories from this era. And the art is so of the era. The portrayal of our female leads. Again, I don't know how much of this was commentary and how much of this was, this is the style of the era and it's what we're doing. Maybe the theory was that these were amalgams of iconic 90s characters and ideas and they were going to earnestly and seriously crank it all the way up to 11 and see what happened. I can't tell. Because even though there are attempts at humor, none of what we think of now as the 90s over-the-top extremism is what's being mocked. At least, not directly. And the humor that was there, phrases like Deathstroke and Craven and Wire, those totally fell flat to me. One of the delightful, fun aspects of reading books from the Amalgam line is the Easter eggs. But this one really lacked all those moments of fun. The closest thing to Easter eggs are these bad puns. So there were some things I really didn't like about this issue. 
But let me talk about some of the things I did like. I thought that the Cat's Eye amalgam was quite good, both in backstory and look. She had a consistent ethnic look, so the revelation of her as Egyptian made sense. It worked out well. And I think that what they picked out of the Catwoman mythos and what they picked out of Elektra really merged very well. Cats and Egypt, and then making her an ambassador's daughter. I didn't mention this in the recap, but her father is assassinated. So they kept that part of Elektra's backstory. So there's a lot of nice work there. That is just a well-thought-out character. And the death of Dare. That was a surprise. Reading this, I kind of forgot that it's a one-off and that anything really can happen. But it was surprising and very brutal, too. This was the kingpin side of the big question shining through. His look is of Wilson Fisk with a question mark tattoo over his face, I guess. I did like the idea of fighting their way up the building. That's a great idea. There's a subgenre of martial art movies that use that as the setup. And I think this was even fresher 20 years ago. And it's, it's just not a setup that's used in a lot of comic books, at least that I can remember seeing. And I really loved how Jimmy Urich saved the comic. I mean, saved the day. Well, both, actually. The look is Jimmy Olsen, a little more grizzled, maybe, world-weary, like Ben Urich tends to be portrayed. But the red hair and the freckles and the bow tie make it clear who was dominating this amalgam. And they really missed the opportunity to call out in some amalgamated way the flying newsroom. But that's the moment that made me smile. Problem is, my expectations for an amalgam book is that page 21 of 22 should not be the only time that I smile. So there were some low lows in this story. I'm not backing away from that. I do wonder if I'm judging this as an amalgam book, bringing in expectations that I have from other amalgams that I've read, if that makes the way I'm looking at this story unfair in some way. But then, even if I try to strip away my expectations and just look at it as a comic book story, not an amalgam book, maybe it gets a little bit better, but we still have jokes that fall flat. Insane, over-the-top 90s art and females that get themselves into uh, awkward physical contortions. The verdict on assassins is mixed, obviously. To me, these amalgam books are supposed to be fun, supposed to be light, but this one lacked the same warmth, or attempts at humor, even attempts at amalgamations, that have formed my expectations for these books. But the presence of Jimmy Urich at the end and the presence of the bigger world that's referenced via the Doctor Strange Fate comment. Those push it over the edge. This is not Tailgunner Joe. This is not El Diablo. It's not Nick Fury's Howling Commandos. This made sense, and it wasn't boring. So I guess this is a quarter bin deal. That wraps up my coverage of Assassins, bringing this quite short episode 78 of the Quarterbin Podcast to a close. Go out and enjoy yourself with the extra minutes of free time I've given you. You're welcome. This one's for you, Stephen Lacey. In episode 79, because it's an episode ending in a nine, 
We're jumping back to the end of this century, 2099 to be exact. It's Doom 2099, issues 8, 9, and 10. And, by the way, the episode after that, episode 80, will be back to Amalgam with both JLX and JLX Unleashed. If you have any questions or comments about the issue, this episode, or the podcast in general, feel free to contact me. Until next episode, I'm Professor Allen, and I'll see you in the quarter bin. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, where the podcasts Uncovering the Bronze Age and Shortbox Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well. Feedback for the show is welcome at relativelygeeky at gmail.com. And if you like what we've got going here, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It'll help more people discover the show. Thanks again for listening. Professor! Professor.